Hey, 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 everyone, how's it going? So, uh, yeah, long time coming. I, I, I know you've all been waiting on this final for a very, very long time, and I know it's super important to you at this point. I mean, this, is, this has been an, uh, an endeavor. You know, this project I thought was... Uh, I, I thought it was going to last, like, maybe maybe a week. I gave it a week before I gave... I became like disgruntled over it or something like that but but no here we are we are far into this and we've come to the end I I know that might make some of you sad but that's just how it is everything ends and well now I uh, I guess we should get into this I have a special announcement at the end of this but yeah Hey everyone, welcome back to the Opinionated Animorphs Podcast. Or a whoopa, as we've come to know it over a very long endeavor here. So, uh, yeah, we're on book number 54. 54, the big one. We've been through 53 books. We have been through... God, let me think. We had... Three Chronicle books, Megamorphs. We had, oh my God, we had so many offbeat stories. But here we are. We we've seen a lot. We've seen war crimes. We've seen chemical, tactical war warfare in this YA novel series. This this series that started off so fun and, and happy about like teens getting to turn into animals. And then it devolves into a nightmare. Now, for those of you who don't remember where we are in the story, I'm going to give you a quick recap. So, Animorphs, right? A couple teenagers walking down walking down a construction site around to this big, bad ship that's crash-landed to Earth. Big old blue centaur comes out with his with stock eyes and a, a tail, tail blade. He's like, yo, yo. I'm dying. And here's the gist. There's these slug aliens that burrow in your ears and take over your bodies. And, like, they've taken over a lot of races now. And I think they're coming here. Because I'm here. So, sorry. Touch this, <laughs> touch this blue cube. <laughs> touch this blue cube, man. And get the powers of an, of, of, of an Andalite, a.k.a. the race that Blue Centaur is. So they all touch it. Uh, not caring if it gives them like space herpes, and and now they can turn into animals, and then we go down a whole wild ride of one of them becoming a hawk and being stuck. The story of them learning to suppress inner urges and rage, development from normal teenagers into people with PTSD, warstruck, just tired and sick of it. It's insane. It's insane. Uh, crazy shit. <clears throat> Uh, before before we, we we get into it, um, we're gonna talk about the sponsor of today's episode, which is um, Instant Oatmeal. No specific brand, just Instant Oatmeal. Remember, kids, Instant Oatmeal will nullify the yerk in your brain and make you go batshit insane, like you just took a shit ton of heroin. So, plus side. Remember, smear it on your body, eat it, 
sniff it, do whatever you need to. Just get it in your body and send it. Instant update. Sponsoring this show since five seconds ago when I made up that ad. But on a serious note, before we get into this, I just want to say thank you guys. This has been a God, a seven-year endeavor. Yeah, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. I started this in high school, man. And you know, now, now I have a kid and a full-time job. And yeah. Oh, uh, also, uh, before before also, I, I gotta I gotta do housekeeping. I uh, want to thank the patrons. Uh, the patrons, you guys made this show keep running since I made a Patreon. So we got we got Randy, we got Lyle, we got Marcus, we got we got Tobias Fan four five two, we got Alfangor did not die number one five six. The Elemist Rips Fat Bombs. Cassie Sucks with an X. We got Rachel, which is straight up Rachel. We got Jake, just Jake, and that's the full name. Jake, just Jake. We got, we got Elfengor. I, lo- loved, I, I loved how you guys really, like, put, before I get into it, I love how you guys really push the whole um, sticking with the theme here. <laughs> I love that to death. We got Chapman. We got we got we got Kate, uh, Cassie sucks too. So I don't know if that's the same person or if like someone else. They just had a friend make an account who wants to support the show. Who knows? We got Brigitte did nothing wrong. We got Taxon Taxonomy baby. We got Elfangor driving Chevy. We got. Andrea. We have David, aka the worst character in the show. That's just my personal note. <laughs> we got we got we got Axe and Axe So we got Axe and Axe Axe spelled A X, and that's it. So, um, we got Visitor Three. Visor 2, Visor 1, Visor 94, Visor 420. Hey. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are crazy. I love you guys. And that's that's it for the patrons. So, uh, as you guys know, we kind of kind of do the voicemail on the show. Uh, recently, I uh, dropped my phone as I was trying to get the voicemail. But, uh, you know, we, we're, we're at the last voicemail. And I'm... I'm yeah, it's it's disheartening. It sucks. I love, 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 love this whole thing. Um, it's crazy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play the last voicemail for you. This was uh, this was sent in by this was sent in by Lyle actually. So let's let's see what Lyle has to say. Hey man, uh, long time listeners, first time callers. Uh, I got I got a question. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be, dude? If I were an animal, I'd probably want to be a chameleon. Dude, I want to be, like, an orangutan. Because, like, they'd be swinging, you know? But, like, a chameleon can be, like, whatever color you want. Maybe can be, like, looking everywhere with his, like, stupid-ass eye. But, dude, like, being orange and then just, like, swinging around, dude? Also, or dude... You know what? Actually, I want to be an octopus. Dude, 
everyone being an octopus too. That shit would be badass. Bro, with like, the, like eight arms. You had eight, you could you could jerk off eight times. What if you don't have balls though? Do octopuses have balls? I mean, they have to reproduce somehow, right? Do they have octopuses? <laughs> that would be real. <laughs> now, now let's let's get into it. So you know me, I like to dissect the theme of each book before we get into it, and this one is very important. So, the theme of this final book, as is, I feel like the theme of the overarching story of Animorphs is war. Yep, war. Um, I'm a level with y'all. There's a lot of war crimes in the series. There's a lot of terrible things that happen. These kids are... These kids are fucked. Put simple. Like, that's the best way I can put it. They're, they're fucked. Like, if they survive this, they'll never be able to live a normal life. This is... I'd be traumatized turning into an ant, man. I'd be done. I'd be like, yeah, no. I'll take the alien slug. Please, dear God. Or or something else. Who knows? But, uh... But, yeah, no. After after the whole ant fiasco, man, I'd be done. I'd be, I'd be outie. I, I do not want to lose my consciousness. I, that, brutal. But, uh, but yeah, overall, the whole theme of this one is war. And you're going to really see why I say that at the end of this. Because it's, it's more than just, like, the overarching war with, with the Yurks. It's, it's the war in general, or any war in general. The, the downsides of it the the good of it you know the good that happens after uh and the uh the uh unfortunate consequence after every war um now this one probably hits a little close to home because uh we are in some rough times in, in the world so if anyone starts to feel uncomfortable I, I go ahead and turn the show off this is your trigger warning um a lot of talk of war a lot of talk of death this is not a happy so something I'm gonna bring up too is um, the cover. It's the most unique cover in the series, I feel. Cause that's not a Megamorph book. We're not counting Megamorphs or the um, the uh, the the Chronicles. Every book up to this point has involved morphing in some way, just straight up morphs. But not this one. This one says, "I'm going to be different, and I'm going to symbolize the end." The book is just silhouettes and white outlines of all the major characters stacked on top of each other. Not in a sense of importance, but I think in a sense of a sense of, of uh, finality. You know, it's kind of crazy. And this is heavily inspired by the Rolling Stones, the, the cover. It's literally a riff on uh, the compilation album from Hot Rocks, 1964 to 1971. David B. Manaby said that it was literally just a conscious deal. He just wanted to do it. Um, the Rolling Stones has been brought up a few times in K. Applegate's whole thing. Um, Axe, Axe brings up, you can't always get what you want in the alien. Back in way... <laughs> Way back when. Way back when. And there's like a whole 
thing with Alf Bangor stealing a Mustang and Honky Tonk Woman and I Can't Get No Satisfaction playing. It's The Rolling Stones has been like a very influential part of this series. Uh, all three of these songs happen in Hot Rocks also. So Hot Rocks has just become perfect, honestly. So honestly, it fits. Because like Let's let's think of like the Rolling Stones when they came out. It was it was um it was Vietnam. It was Nam baby. The big war. Not 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 in the sense of like scale, but the war that I think really showed people that war is traumatic. It's terrible. It's not fun. It's not glorious. I hate going on like TikTok and seeing like these middle schoolers making like little dark age edit edits with uh, the management song like they don't even listen to the lyrics of the song it's so anti-war man but they don't they don't someone should make an edit showing the shell shock the, the terrible things that happen afterwards it's <sighs> glorification of war is this book really sells the, the theme, the concept of how terrible this is going to be for us and our, our characters who we've all come to love. So, let's uh, let's get into it, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it, you and me. So, I do have a little little gripe, little gripe here. Um, the book the book kind of starts off with the whole I can't, you know, the whole the. I, I, I don't even really want to say it at this point because I always talk about it in the beginning, but it starts off with the whole, my name is da-da-da-da-da-da. This is not the book to have done that, if you ask me. This is a normal, like, book in in scope of, like, page size. It's not like a chronicle, it's not a megamorph, it is literally condensed to the same problems as a normal book, so that's great to waste page space when this book needs a lot of detail if you ask me but let's let's continue on we left the animorphs trapped in space the bullship was uh infiltrated uh eric king was there toby was there uh few free free Hortfisher. it was now low orbit eric decided to just say screw it i'm not I'm not doing anything with this in a form of peaceful protest because, yeah, Eric, this is this is the time for peace. Uh, Jake went full insane mode and flushed a bunch of innocent civilian yurts out the full ship into space. It added nothing to the war. It added nothing. Jake was just mad. He took civilian lives, essentially. Um... If you if you want to like classify it that way, Tom, who if you don't if you don't remember, is uh, Jake's brother who's infected who's infested with a York, high ranking now, who now has control of the blade ship, you know the the big bad blade ship, the thing that can tear ships apart in microseconds. Uh, it's trained on the bullshit. They are threatening to destroy the pole ship because they want to get rid of Visor 1. 
because Tom's here wants to move up in the chain. It's, I guess, kind of a smart plan. They they don't know, though, that Rachel is on the bridge. And the plan was kill Tom if things go bad. Things went bad. And now it's time for Rachel to do her thing. So, you know. It's never brought up what Rachel's last name is, but she does the whole my name is Rachel. So, whatever. We, we know Jake's last name, so by association it should be the same, but blah, 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 whatever. Now, this is the important part. If you remember the Elmas Chronicle, this is where an Amorph dies. Which Amorph is alone in this endeavor? Rachel. So there's a lot of context clues in the Elmas Chronicle. It's either Jake or Rachel. I personally thought it was Jake for a while before I like read the whole series. But now Rachel is on the front cover of the splash page in the center of everyone else. So she's... Rachel essentially tells us that she knows what's happening. She's seeing Jake's eyes. She's terrified. So, and yeah, the summary thing, not a fan of. But it's interesting because Rachel is not character that we see who thinks about their mortality a lot but now she is she's scared she's a flea on tom's head an insect the blade ship begins to get ready for an attack and she jumps off tom she begins to morph and tom has no idea that the amorphs are alive so they react terrified when they see 17,000 yurks get flushed thinking it's visor one now, they're not too messed up because they were just going to blow it up, but, you know, it gets Tom thinking, why would Vizzer 1 actually do this? As he thinks about it, Rachel's element of surprise slips. They've essentially made a joke about Geds getting drunk and the pole trip being hard to maneuver. And... He's essentially talking about the fact that, hey, Visor 3, or Visor 1 even, I'm so sorry, I've been so stuck with him being Visor 1 for so long, or Visor 3 for so long, but Rachel is morphing as Tom's like, huh, why the hell would Visor 1 do this, and why is the bullshit being piloted like a blind, drunk idiot's doing it? Oh, little does he know, it's humans. So... This is enough of a distraction for Rachel to demorph. She sees the telecom going on. She sees Vizzer 1. He's on the screen, and he is described as looking dull. He's tired. He's slack. Vizzer 1 has given up. He's tired. He's stressed. Tom sees the tiger, which is Jake. He realizes, oh, shit, I fucked up. He he screams out to Visor 1, 
you are not dead. And Brizzer one says, I noticed the same thing in a tired tone. Brizzer one's done. He's given up. It makes you think that like Vizzer one has just realized all the poor situations that have led him here because he's made some really bad decisions, man. Rachel finishes and begins to more grizzly. Jake tells Rachel through the comms to do it. Rachel is half morphed as someone screams Animorph, which is like <laughs> just so funny, actually. And Rachel even comments, she's like, oh, they spent so long calling us Andalites that like now that they're calling us Animorphs, it's like, man, this actually feels good. We're recognized. It's so stupidly funny to think about. And she says, that's right, genius, Animorph. She essentially went beast mode. She attacked. She attacked Tom, knocked him down, raking his back. But he crawls away because Rachel doesn't know how to finish the job. So the Yurks don't begin to morph for some reason. Or my bad. They they don't mention they don't want to like attack with Drakons. Uh, which, you know, fair, I guess they don't want to destroy their fun ship. They, they they begin to morph because that's smart. And Rachel literally begins to trash the ship because guess what? They're half morph. It's not going to do anything. She destroys the comms. Blade can't attack. The Yorks begin to finish morphing. We got a polar bear, two lionesses, and a cake buffalo, baby. Not... Not not the same Cape Buffalo from forever ago. That would be that'd be so great actually with the Yorks like abducted it and like Oh my god. It's all just physical combat. Um so there's no like dragon beams that are gonna destroy this poor buffalo. Even though it would be kind of funny, a funny little nod to have Rachel find a dragon beam and shoot the buffalo. <laughs> So Rachel's essentially going beast mode. She's thinking like a predator. She is ready to tear into them. She has dropped her whole I am mortal, I will die shtick. She has adrenaline pumping through her body and she asks them, scared? You should be. So she goes hammer mode. Basically, um, she gives one really good last fight. Four on one against, you know, bear on bear uh, on buffalo on lionesses. She stabs the shit out of the polar bear, causing it to demorph. The buffalo can't charge at full power, so it's having a problem. And the lionesses can't attack a bear. The fight seems super winnable, but Rachel lost track of Tom. She begins to feel weird, heavy, lack of concentration. Tom has more of Cobra, and he's been poisoning her this whole time. This fight's been visible from the comms, and Tobias is watching Rachel die. 
she's lost so much of her consciousness that she can't think of a demorph to get the venom out. And even if she did, Tom is wrapped around her. Tobias has to watch as Rachel dies as he cries out to her. And Rachel calls out to him, asking him for help. But they're on two different ships. Eventually, Tobias helps choreograph, and Rachel swats at Tom. Uh, claws extended, trying to gnash at him. And she gets him. A thing is on her nails, her claws. It's squirming. Tom is screaming. He's crying. And with that, Tom begins to call out to Jake, Stop her, please. Just stop her. And then Rachel bites down, killing Tom. Tom died as an infested yerk. He lost himself. No power. Not even in his own body. The first mission was helping Tom. Jake wanted to save him. This is what kicked everything off. And now Jake had to say he had to die. But this didn't have to happen. Jake's plan was so flawed. Tom could have survived and Rachel could have survived. She's forced to be morphed in front of the enemy you're surrounded she's weak beaten the polar bear looming over her she she lost her way she lost her fight she watches as Cassie Marco Max Jake Tobias all watching Tobias even being human to make sure that she could see him. He was crying. They confessed their love and God. I'm sorry, this this part gets me. I love like the story dynamic between Tobias and Rachel. I'm sure everyone knows this by now. Even though I have my problems with Tobias as a character. But this hurts. Rachel smiles at Tobias. And the polar bear says, you fight well, human. And kills her in a single blow. So yeah, that's the end of Rachel's story. But as you all know, we get the last like moment of the Elmas Chronicle essentially picking up. So, like, if you wanted to, you could literally stop right here and then go read the Elmas Chronicle and be like, okay, so this is Rachel's final moments. This is what she's learning. That's how she's feeling. As she's literally dying. You know, the whole, who are you? Who are you to play games with us? You appear, you disappear, you use us. Who are you? What are you? And then for what seemed like a very long time, the Elmas told me, I saw, I understood. So, and then, you know, you get into the whole story about, like, Galmus being an alien who plays video games and, you know, married this chick, loved her a lot, and 
kept going on and you know defeated giant sea sponges in a battle of bands moving meteors separating kitties became a space nanny in a weird way and then literally fucked telepathy into the analytes through evolution it was yeah fell into the black hole yeah it's just crazy so that that's like it's like last minutes they almost like just telling her telling her this and then it's like done rachel dies mid thought she begins to wonder something but we never know what it was we switch narrators to jake dan morris watched all of this they saw rachel fight they saw tom die and they saw rachel die toby comes in bloody her and her forces quartered the uh, crew of the bullshit and they offer to uh they offer amnesty if the uh yurks can become nothics which if you don't remember is like a, a, a being who stayed in a morph for more than two hours so now they are permanently permanently in the animal body that they've chosen uh so tobias just uh they can't morph back unlike tobias who if you remember the elements did a whole thing you know uh jerahammy her father has died um one of the two original three Hawkfajir, who was one of the more important like side characters honestly the three Hawkfajir literally saved everyone in the end it's it's crazy that all these like main and side characters are dying because Rachel, Tom, uh, Jerahami, and all of the auxiliary animorphs. Yes, the auxiliaries. If you don't remember, um, the animorphs gave the morphing powers to a bunch of disabled children and made them backup fighters, which, God, that was not a good idea. God. It's crazy. 17,000 Yurks. Uh, Sergeant Jerde's troops just... <sighs> this war has taken a lot of people already. And we ain't even done yet, baby. Uh, so, Jake, Jake's in shock. And he does not know how to respond to this. Marco steps in and says yeah go ahead approve it even though the analytes might be pissed cassie tries to help him get out of his funk and tobias stays quiet uh most important right now in the order of like what do we do first so tom's dead so that's not a problem now we gotta go to visitor one who is literally and i cannot emphasize this given up his reasons are unsound even if he like became a monster kill them all his failures would mean a death sentence to the yurkai cancel and the analytes god the analytes will just destroy him and uh yeah so the humans are probably the best bet uh a jury of humans versus an analyte i mean hey that's that's probably gonna be the best outcome for him so it's it's kind of insane um He's so tired. He was the villain of this whole story. 
Hound's just done. He's apathetic. We wanted a final battle, some scar fight. But I was just depressed, and he gives. Some fans aren't, like, into it, but, like, I'm a big fan of it. I, It's a fitting end. He's very cartoony, but he's he's a realistic. Well, okay, I, I, I rephrase this. He's 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 a stereotypical supervillain in a real war setting, a real war setting. It's not gonna work. Wars don't end because the baddies said, "Oh, I give," or not not I give, but you know, sur- uh, you know, just. You know, taking out the baddies. He gives up because the baddies give up. They call peace. And having Vizzer 1 be the one to surrender just drives the point. Jake tells, v- Jake tells Vizzer 1 to leave the Analyte host and live in a kind of... It's more... It's closest to a suitcase, really. And he's just like, just live in here for a couple days while we figure out what to do with you. Uh, they're not going to kill him. He's a prisoner now. Now, Jake's just like, we don't kill prisoners. And, you know, that's funny because 17,000 Yurks died defenseless. Vizzer 1 even calls him out on this, and it's so funny. Well, not funny, but you, you know what I mean. It's serendipitous. Jake essentially tries to get Cassie to talk to Eric, and he's pissed. So, which is fair. Uh, Eric essentially did a peaceful protest, was turned off all the weaponry, and ruined their chances of destroying the blade ship. So, yeah. So, now we're in the the main draws. Uh, He has uh jake i'm sorry sometimes i just like get into the he she they and i okay but jake has axe knock visitor one unconscious letting the yurk slither out without you know getting ripped out by his very pissed off host who's been inhabited mind you for i think it's like three years this has been going on like in the context of the books so and like even actually because he got infested i think uh it was the analyte chronicles so that was like oh my god how old is tobias like 17 ish so 17 maybe over 20 years this guy's been infested so ugh. so i access up communication between lights to the uh the uh big ships and patches it in with the civilian media net for some reason um so it's being broadcast live on analyte tv x isn't supposed to do this because of his rank but jake's a prince so hey loophole uh we then cut to cassie telling eric what's going on eric is mad kind of understandably cassie tells him the blade ship's gone away rachel's dead tom's dead you know and Eric is just so I 
don't even know how to describe it. He's just kind of cool about it. He he loses the Eric like holograph and just looks like a Pamela. He's like, oh, I'm I'm supposed to feel like upset because Rachel's dead because I didn't let Jake like massacre everyone on the blade ship. And like Cassie was mad and it's very fair to be mad. Like, Eric just has a whole hissy fit being like, oh, he flushed the, the Yurks into space. They were harmless. They were, you know, this and that. Cassie was like, we needed a... D-. And she stops herself. Eric says, oh, you needed a diversion? You needed one? So Jake murders 17,000 sentient creatures. Now I'm gonna give I'm gonna give them like you know I know I know it seemed like I've been pretty like on Jake, but like I I'm kind of against that whole part of it. These were seventeen thousand civilian beings essentially. They weren't part of the war. They were waiting to be inhabited. They probably didn't even know the full scope of the war. That's like that would be like you know two countries going to war. And one of them starts blowing the crap out of civilians. Top off. Jake made a poor decision. He really did. But uh, Eric King definitely had a bit of a, a point. Um, Eric the character is separated from the Chi in the sense that he's the only one of his kind motivated by his ability to choose. Eric King has free will. Now the Chi's probably aren't developed at all but but still um eric has very open free will and this was a part of it it's become a personal stake to him he attended the funeral of marco's mother angry because he knew the truth and he knew his limitations of stopping everything he knew what the hell warriors did to the pamelites he stood there watching as his creators were slaughtered and now it's happening Malicious aliens intent with destroying a species that he had become family of. And this is what made him seek the Pemelite crystal way back when to turn off his violence, like deprogramming, so he could defend the planet. And once he got his first taste of violence, he hated it. And he turned it back on. Or in theory, he did. I like to think that he never turned it off. You know, he chooses pacifism because it's his own free will at that point. And he's very loose with his uh, definitions on allowed violence. You know, maybe he can't like beat the crap out of someone like howlers, but he's totally fine with like the animals killing them. Now, you know, his 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 whole thing was not out of programming at that point. It was out of spite. If if he left his programming in attack mode, he could have ended this war so long ago because he literally took out a whole fleet of Yurks by himself single-handedly. Now I get it. The Pamelites were programmed like way back with peace and you know, thoughtful intent. But like you gotta really stop and think about it. A lot more lives could have been saved than the ones he took. When the Yurks were still a small army. 
there's no easy arm army and yeah like i said jake's or jake's totally in the wrong eric's so right and he could have he could have worked out a plan he could have worked out a plan with eric and all the chi because bear in mind there's a crap ton of them they could have worked out a big plan where no one got hurt in the end but he didn't and this last we see of eric he says his goodbyes and he and the rest of the chi leave maybe take on new identities maybe going to search the cosmos for cosmos for a new home It's so crazy, honestly. And it's crazy to think that Eric became the ambassador of the Chi. He chose his whole race's fate. It's so... There's so much that you can really think about. I'm, so, I'm still thinking about it, because I read this book a while ago. I'm still just thinking about, about Eric King and his... His god complex while also having not a god come it's so it's so crazy <laughs> it, it it comes off very very crazy but now the animorphs uh essentially have patched into the um the 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 uh what do you call it? the animorph systems and um okay there we go okay okay sorry i better look over my notes so uh they patch into the uh analyte fleets in the dome ship elfangor so hey good memory uh good for elfangor but um the animorphs tell themselves te you know call themselves the uh earth liberation army um because yeah, Animorphs is kind of a silly name in war, but they have a hard time convincing the Analytes to take them seriously, and that's when Lauren, Razor One's host body, regains consciousness. Lauren is calm, disconnected from everyone else because, like, this is the first time he's been free in, God, a de decades. Lauren makes suggestions which get the dome ship online, and Marco narrates, uh, the scene changes, the Analyte's older, he's got a burn scar on his scalp, and, and he's missing a stock. Uh, Prince Esculin... God, I can't, I can't even say this. But Marco essentially is like, big time? And Axe is like, yeah, big. And he's so interesting. This this man is a Vekel, a disabled uh, Analyte who can't morph. Otherwise, like, losing the side stock would be, you know, short. The burn scar, gone, you know? I get the impression that losing an eye doesn't have the same cultural stigma as losing a tail out of this. Like, tails and tail blades are symbolic and all this. But I have to imagine, in practical terms, it is terrible for him. He lost 25% of his eyesight. But now, you know, he's, he's this sergeant. It means a lot that the uh, Captain Lead Dome ship is a Vekel. He's a he's disabled. Now that makes you think, hey, is is the Elite fleet spread so thin that you know they now have less than one percent capable officers? Have the Allies and their their disabled culture changed better since Axe out Second Earth? 
Because bear in mind, Axe is super ableist. Like crazy ableist. It's insane. But now, which just seemed like a race thing. But now, it seems like either they're more acceptable or the Analyte fleet is just so spread out that they need them. Axe doesn't press this. He doesn't seem taken aback. But, you know, Axe still hasn't gone over his prejudices. So it just makes me... It makes me think, like, maybe Applegate kind of forgot that the Analytes are a little dis uh, ableist. So, um, yeah. Which, hey, not a terrible thing to forget at that point. Just, you know. Um, we, we don't stand... The, we do not stand the uh, the ableist species in this house. We stand the ones who have growth. So anyway, um, Marco convinces him, uh, or not Marco, but I think I think it was uh, Lauren convinces him to help out until Marco lets it slip that this is being broadcast to the Analyte public, which is not good. Jake steps up and is like. Hey, this is my dipl diplomacy. Um, he's kind of got this vibe to be like. J Jake just knows how to handle himself around Analyte. It's insane. Escolan is trying to intimidate Jake. And then he's just like. He's just like. Essentially asserted as the president of Earth, which is just. So funny. But uh, anyway, the Animars pop the pole ship so the Analytes can dock. Captain, uh, I'm not even going to say his name, but he, he comes in and tries to take over. And Jake is like, Captain, thank you for coming. But this is my ship. I am the captain. Um, and literally, he's trying to shoot him down. It's kind of crazy. As Jake's just like, Oh, you know, the 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 Yurk prisoners of war have agreed to become Nothlets. They agreed to stop being in the war. They agreed to, you know. And and Jake also brings up the taxons that like have been helping and want to be Nothlets too. And the captain's just like denied. We done. There's no leverage. They're handing over the pole ship. I mean. Your tech is bootleg analyte tech, so nothing will, nothing is winning. And, you know, it's not like keeping things in the public eye is going to stop the analytes from carpet bombing. The masses probably don't want to see the Yurks get superpowers. Like, think about it. They don't want to see the Yurks using their technology because of Zero's kindness. Um, X takes things into the next level. And Jake narrates again. Axe says, Kitten press as cooling. I declare a challenge. Uh, the Analytes all stop breathing because this is like a this is a big deal. Um Ascolin laughs. Just like you're not in a position for this. You're you're not a prince. A prince needs to either support you or you need to be one in order to challenge. And then Jake is like Yep, I hold, or not Jake. It was a Lauren. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm used to like Jake being referred to as Prince a lot, but a Lauren, who is a prince, says, "I hold that rank." 
and he's like, yeah. Everyone is like, everyone is like, oh, shit. And this is the funny thing, though. Aloran has been disgraced from his, like, deeds on the Hork-Bajir homeworld, creating the virus that would, you know, supposedly take out the Urks, but then just be the whole problem for Hork-Bajir, man. <clears throat> and despite being a captive for 15 years, you know, having only been released for, like, a half hour, Aloran is, like, yeah, I'm promoting this challenge. I have authority, or he just has that big of a dick to be like, "Yeah, this is the, I'm still the captain here." It, I I love Warren's character, man. Um, it's so funny here, uh, to be like, "Yeah, I've been a captive for years, but like, here's my dick. I'm gonna slap in your face if you don't listen to me." But uh, but then they explain the challenge. Basically, Analyte warriors can like uh, challenge their superiors in orders if he believes that that superior is you know violating the rights of the electorate, the people, and you know, it's it's kind of funny because they're like, how can you like fight wars? It's like you can literally just challenge your officer. And Axe is like, yeah, if I fail, I will be disciplined horribly. I'll be exiled. I'll be permanently gone. Like, Tailblade will be cut right the fuck off. And I'm just like, ah. Damn. But, like, Axe has working powers? So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. But, like, also, you gotta think about it. Um, Symbolically, they've They've had meaning, so like if the tailblades cut, that's just so symbolically detrimental to them. Even if they can heal it, they're like, dude, that means a shit to me. K. Applegate's world building is so fun, honestly. It's really fun to like hear K. Applegate's world building here. Um it's it's so so crazy. I wish we could get another like really big like world building book from her about the Animorphs universe. Um, I I know she has another book series, and I want to dig into that at some point. But like, I want to know more about like some of these alien races because she's such a good author when it comes to alien biology and like systems and, and world governments and all that. But anyway, um, as cool doesn't want this challenge, but he caves in. And, uh, you know, uh, Axe gets promoted to Prince. He's the liaison of Earth and the Analytes and is given four, count them, four morphin cubes to use as he sees fit. Axe withdraws the challenge and with that, baby, the war is done. The Analytes and the, uh, the Animorphs spend the rest of the day, you know, getting all the Yurk ships. They fly down to Washington to open communications to analytes and world government. The Amorous get swarmed, the analytes get formed, Marco's loving it, Tobias is like this shit, dude. And Tobias is done. He's he's Audi. Um Tobias just does not want to be a part of this anymore. And I, I feel like this is the end of it. Tobias he's just quiet he's checked out 
and you know Marco and Jake and Axe, they're all you know trying to trying to you know settle the, these people, like telling them what they need to do. And then Tobias is like, "Fuck this, I'm out." He catches up, draft, and leaves. Rachel's body is found in space. Someone threw it out the space, the blade ship, and with things slowing down, the blade ship, or not the blade ship. Ugh, God. <laughs> Um, we're gonna cut this up in parts because I'm, I'm tired, y'all. I've been talking for uh, I've been talking for almost an hour. This has got to be the longest episode of the podcast ever, but it's important. So we're gonna finish up this part and then jump on to part two. Anyway, Rachel is uh, cremated. She's uh, cremated on the beach, and it's the first memorial attended by humans, Horfizier, and Analytes. The president gives a speech. Everyone, Everyone's there except for Tobias. So Cassie sees a red-tailed hawk in the sky. Uh, he's high in the sky, riding a thermal. His, his, you know, his hawk eyes would see everything here. As the band plays, you know, he dives down. He lands on the box, wings flaring. One of the ushers tries to get him off of it, but Jake just grabs him. And Tobias grabs the urn. He glances at Rachel's mom angrily, who's sobbing, and nods her head, giving her permission. Tobias looks at Cassie, and she's like, yes, you, you can do this. She wants this. And Tobias lifted the urn. He flies off low first. He catches thermal and he takes the the uh, the urn away into the sky. And that is the last we will see of Tobias. Tobias, ugh. Now you you all know me and Tobias. We have a we have a bit of a a rocky history, but this is. This is the last time we will ever see him, but also probably one of the most important times that we will see him. He is literally the creation of the universe's needs, while also being a uh, war criminal. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to have some final words about the characters at the end, but Tobias here, there's just something about he was he always used to be my favorite when I was a kid. I just loved his design. I loved the fact that he was a bit of an outcast. I loved his whole story arc. Um, now that I'm an adult, I see all the flaws with him, but damn. This is uh this is something. But anyway, um we're ending part one here. Part two is gonna cover the rest of it, the the final parts of the story. What are Jake, Cassie, and Marco going to get up to? What's Axe up to, man? And how the hell does this story end? Because as I've alluded to, there's no happy endings. So, I'll catch y'all in part two.